What comes to mind when you hear the word peace? It's different things for different people. Uh, we are currently in a cultural climate that is having a culture war. I'm not sure if you have uh, heard this at any point in your life. But we have decided that this year, 2022, Anno Domini is the year where we will get everything worked out correctly. More than likely, you've heard that there is also a, a war on Christmas. It comes up every Christmas, this war that we has been waging. I grew up, I was actually born in the 1970s. There's a debate at my home as to whether or not I'm a child of the 80s or the 90s. We'll just say that I'm like a good radio station, 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. But I remember the Cold War. I remember living in the tension of that. I also remember that there was a war between Coca-Cola and Pepsi. That we decided to, we really let Pepsi participate in this battle. Have you had a Pepsi? Just a horrific idea. I remember the war in Iraq. The war on terror. When I hear the word peace, I immediately think of the word war. There is one character that we have a conversation about in regard to Christmas that I don't think about in regard to peace. And that's the person of Herod. But if you stop and think for just a moment, it will become really obvious to you, every one of us, that Herod, in the story of Christmas, he is pursuing peace. It's just peace. He's pursuing peace for himself, a false peace. So as we wrestle through the text today, I just want to ask you this of your own life and your own situation. What peace are you pursuing? Whose peace are you pursuing? If you have your Bibles, open those to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read a story over us that you are very familiar with. And I invite you to read along either on the screen or in your Bible or on your illuminated device. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this was what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they'd seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night, and he escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, and he took the child and his mother, and they entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and he settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Who is this Herod? The unique nature of his story is that though he has been labeled the king of the Jews, he is not Jewish at all. He was an Edomite, which is from the line of Esau. If you're an Old Testament scholar, you know what that is. If you are not, feel free to ask one of the Old Testament scholars sitting near you. And his mother was Arabian. He knew Cleopatra. He also knew Mark Antony. Not to be confused with J.Lo's former husband. This is a Roman general. This Herod, he built a temple. He also built places of worship for other deities. He built a place for the people to worship him. So when you think about it, he builds a temple to Yahweh, which is very central to the story of the Jewish people. He also includes foreign religions into this temple worship, building them temples, and he built places where he himself would be worshipped. This amalgamation of worship is, is not unique to the days of Herod. It is very present in each and every one of us. And it is one of the reasons that this war rages in us. Historically speaking, to build a temple to yourself is dicey. Can you imagine you go home and you've built a temple to yourself? Or you go home and your spouse has built a temple to himself or herself. And you begin to ask questions as to what they're doing and why they're doing that. Well, I believe this is the best thing to do. I'm still in covenant relationship with you, but I want other people to worship me as if your spouse worshiped you. What a very unique thing that he has done. Herod is a unique figure in the story of the Bible. The weird thing is, he's not even really a king. We call him King Herod because it makes for easy speak. In actuality, he is this governor of sorts. He is middle management. You may be familiar with middle management. Like this, this is who Herod is. This Someone who 
rules in place of something that is over him. And he's reigning and ruling in this area, and his entire life he has felt uncomfortable, completely disconnected from the notion that he would rule over the people of Israel. No confidence whatsoever in his position. He's in a bad place. When you look at the story of Herod, you almost see that it is the story that we see running through the entirety of the Bible. That there is someone who is being used by sin and death and hell to go to war with Yahweh, to go to war with our God. They're just these bosses that run through the story. You're familiar with some of them. You may or may not have heard of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Or you've heard of Haman if you've ever read through the story of Esther. You've heard of Herod. You've heard of Satan. They all foreshadow something else. They are helping us to see what is actually taking place. That there is someone, something that is at battle with God. Again, in the 1980s, during my childhood, I, I played a number of video games. My favorite was called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Did anybody play this game when they were okay? If you have not played this, it was called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out in the 80s. Some things happened. We had to take his name out of it eventually. But when you look at the game, there are these characters... And they are repeatedly looking like other characters. And the way that they would fight you would prepare you for who was next. When we look at the story of Herod, we see that he will kill numerous babies. That story has been told before. Over and over and over, we see these attempts throughout the scripture to go at war with God and his plan Messiah. We see that God all the while is continuing to tell his good story. This Herod is such a unique figure in the scriptures. And when you look at Herod, he is in a very awkward place when these wise men come to him. Because he believes himself to be king of the Jews. Yet not even the scribes and the Pharisees would really attribute kingship to him. He's just there holding a place. His entire life has been waiting for someone to give him validation in his reign and in his rule. He's, Jesus was born and there was Herod. And these wise men want to go talk to the king. This appointed king. To ask him where the real king was. I've always heard this story told and thought through it. And, and really just, it's just what's there. It's part of the Christmas story. It's part of the narrative. But have you ever just taken just a second to step away from what we are allowed to see to the setup of it? Herod's whole life, he has been looking for validation. That someone would say to him, you are in fact the king of the Jewish people. Validation that is outside of him. He wants to find his worth some, from somewhere else, from someone else, from something else. If you're going to roll into even a middle management king like Herod's space, you have to make sure that you have uh, the welcome, a proper welcome. They just don't let you stroll up and say, hey, meet with the king. We don't even let people roll in here without conversations. We want to make sure that this takes place. And when Herod hears that the wise men are coming, they have a caravan with them. More than likely, it's been looked through. 
People can see that they have things to ordain this king. And Herod, as these men come to him, is not just seeing them come. He is anticipating and waiting for them to say to him, you are what you think you are. All of his worth, all of his value in this moment where these foreign kings come to him. And rather than do that, rather than give him his validation, they make him feel lesser. This raging war that we see in this passage is one where Herod believes he is something that he is not. Now, in some way, every one of us are seeking our peace and our worth and our value in other things. We find our peace and our worth and our value in our jobs. We find our peace and our worth and our value in our families. We find it in the sports that we play. We find it in the people that we attach ourselves to. We find it in things that we love. And we find it, sadly enough, in the things that we tell people that we do not love. We are seeking to find as if our belonging in some way, something else, someone else, some other thing. Herod is in the situation of every one of us if we are not intentionally fighting this battle. Finding that his validation and his relevance and his importance has to be found in something else. You may say, Chad, I'm not Herod. That is not true. That is true. I would not allow you in the room if you were King Herod today. It would be very awkward for all of us, especially with your wardrobe. But when you look at the story, we see these, these men coming to present this stuff to Herod. Jesus is here in the passage. And when you get to verse, verses, verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed that they were looking for a king. Why would he be disturbed? Because he believed himself to be that. We saw a star and we've come to worship him. This star has been moving through the sky. There are numerous conversations. There are numerous commentaries we can read about this star. There is something supernatural taking place there as God leads these men toward Jesus. In Bethlehem of Judea, they, verse 5 is so interesting because they ask Herod a question. Rather, Herod asked the scribes and the Pharisees a question. He asked them this. Oh, have you heard anything about this? be born. Where is this king going to be in Bethlehem of Judea? Because that, that's what was written by the prophet. These scribes and these Pharisees, they, they say, they quote to him from Micah, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. The chief priests are an interesting side note in the story because they are people who knew the scripture well enough to locate Jesus, but they are going to eventually oppose the teachings of Jesus. Micah 5 2 tells us that, there, that he will rule this king, but it also tells us how he will rule when you get to verses 4 and 5. It tells us that when Jesus rules, it will be ruling as a shepherd, a caretaker who gives direction to those who follow after him. It was not a secret for anyone other than Herod as to where this Jesus would be born. This man has no connection to the details of the story of Jewish religion. This also reminds us that the knowledge of Scripture does not guarantee that your heart is in a good place with God. 
I've met some of the cruelest people who knew the Bible better than anyone else I've ever met. Our knowledge of the Scripture does not necessarily convey that we are walking with God of the Scriptures. Jesus is in this text as we move towards what takes place in Bethlehem. And I find it unique when you read through the story of this Jesus and how God has ordained from the beginning of time for him to intercept this world. That Jesus is a, comes in a helpless form. He has zero say over where he was born apart from God working the details outside of time. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to ex- the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go and worship him. Look, I don't want to bury the lead for you if you're unfamiliar with the story. He has no plans to go worship Jesus. He is giving lip service to the idea to advance his own power and position by any means necessary. If we're going to wrestle with our own walks with God, how many of us are giving lip service to walking with Jesus to advance our own means? To advance what we would have and why we would have that, what we would do and why we would do that. How many of us are leveraging our relationship with Jesus to get what we really want? He does the math when he hears the story of how long they've been following the star. And he will order for toddlers to be murdered. After hearing the king, they went their way. Verse 9. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the mother with Mary. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to to their knees and they worshipped him. And they opened treasure chests presented him with a gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This story takes a unique turn from many of our presentations of the story. And when Dan shared last week about being at a church where they would have a massive Christmas festival... Or maybe you've been on Instagram and you notice there are churches that are having massive Christmas festivals. Telling the story of Jesus. My kids have all these books about meeting with Jesus. And some of them are from a good place, I believe. But these books are about mice that played trombones and drums and camels and cows and every one of them visits the manger and two out of three of those in these stories you will see that they will align themselves with the wise men to follow in to where baby Jesus is in the manger he's not in a manger but it's nothing for us to be mad about it actually says they enter into the house It's nothing for us to be upset about. We really need to wrestle really with this. Let's not be mad about things that are not worth being mad about. We should not pursue earthly power to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Just cards on the table. I I don't care if your cup is red or white or if it says Happy Holidays or or Merry Christmas. I, I don't care if it has an insult for me. 
It's nowhere in the purpose statement of Walmart to give you a Christocentric shopping experience. You, you may say, well, I feel helpless in this world sometimes. Every believer has felt that. Every believer who is seeking to live a countercultural life will feel helpless. We will feel as if we are unheard. We will feel as if the world is at war with us. We will feel as if the world is waging war against our souls and against the things that we worship. We will sense that. But what many of us overlook is that that might be the point. The follower of Jesus should never feel comfort in this world. That's not the story. We should never feel comfort from this world. It comes from outside. It comes from the one who intervenes for us. Mary and Joseph, they were in this story. They have a baby who has chosen to be helpless. From outside of time, Jesus intersects time, and he chooses to be in the form of a helpless infant. Mother and father are poor, and they are not much more than helpless. They are impoverished. Many believe that the gifts uh, the wise men gave to Mary and Joseph would fund their journey to Egypt that we see in verses 13 through 16. We're not exactly sure. That's just a belief because they don't have the means to get to Egypt otherwise. We do learn from this story, though, that we should not pursue the power of this world to advance Jesus and his kingdom. We've been told to tell a countercultural narrative. And for us to engage in culture wars for the sake of that is not being part of the story of Messiah. When you get to 13, they were, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up and take the child and his mother. You flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Complete side note. The fact that Joseph keeps getting directions from angels... I really appreciate that because I still get lost here. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Skeptics struggle with what we more than likely in your Bible is called the murder of or the massacre of the innocents. Scripture de uh, skeptics deny that Herod ever slaughtered babies of Bethlehem. Since there is no extra-biblical source that documents that that happened. However, when we look at the life of Herod and the decisions that Herod would make for the sake of his own power and his own position, it lines up drastically. The murders are consistent with what he does to other people, such as murdering his own family. He would murder multiple family members, a wife, sons. When Herod dies, he has had written into the rules of his area that Jewish nobles will be murdered on that day as well. This is documented by Josephus. And he did this for this very purpose, to make sure that the land was grieving and mourning on the day of his death. He's at war with who God is. 
So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he, he escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. That's from the book of Hosea chapter 11. The story of Jesus, we are being told, is the story of Israel. As prophecies are fulfilled, and you see multiple fulfilled in this text, in this prologue text to the story of the life of Jesus, we see the summary of the story of Israel being retold, not in a story, but in a living, breathing person. We see Jesus as the one who will come out of Egypt. He is the real Moses. We see that Jesus is in the line and lineage of David. He is the better David. We see that Jesus is God's actual true Israel. God's hope and plan for the world is wrapped in helpless flesh. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, I love that word, outwitted, it flew into a rage. He gave order to massacre all the boys in and around there who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Again, we read the Christmas story and we can detach ourselves from the brutal reality of what was taking place. Moms and dads were weeping because this man was representing Satan and death and hell. This was all attached the prophecy of Jeremiah there was weeping there was great mourning Rachel weeping for her children she refused to be consoled because they were no more everything seems to be getting better after Herod died an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said to him get up take the child his mother go to Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead Herod's gone this notion of leaving Egypt again reminds us of Moses. But David heard, or, but rather Joseph heard something. He heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in a place of his father Herod. And he was afraid to go there. We get that. He, he said he, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Herod's gone. But Herod's family seems terrible too. I don't trust him. I don't trust his mama. I don't trust his cousins. I'm going to zag. I'm going to go to Nazareth. I'm going to set up my carpentry shop in Nazareth because I have to protect this baby and no one will ever think that we are in Nazareth because you know what they say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And then he goes in. He settled in a town called Nazareth. To fulfill what was spoken to the prophets. That this Jesus will be called a Nazarene. The beginning of Matthew, we see Jesus being chased by a representative of Caesar. Wanting to destroy this child. But what we cannot miss is how it juxtaposes with the end of Matthew. At the end of Matthew, Jesus will face a representative of Caesar whose name is Pilate. Pilate will meet him not with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but a crown of thorns and a cross. When we look to the story of the end of the earthly life of Jesus before his resurrection, the soldiers are the first Gentiles to call Jesus king of the Jews since the Magi. There is no star to light the night when Jesus dies, only a wicked, solemn darkness. A gentle voice will announce that he really is the Son of God. 
aligning with what was said at the beginning of Matthew that this is the promised Messiah. Think about it, what is really a conversation about Jesus being the king of the Jews. This is not a, something that he attained. This is someone that he is. For you to have peace with God, you and I have to realize that Jesus went to war with sin, death, and hell. This is where we bring the gift of our lives because of his broken body and his shed blood. And we can have peace because of who Jesus is. Because his broken body allows us to know God's peace and live as God's counter-cultural representatives of himself in this world. So here's what we do at Grace. If you are a member here, we are going to take communion during the next song. I want you to get up and go get the cups. If you're a believer in the room, though you're not a member, you are welcome to be part of communion with us because we celebrate that God has offered peace for us in the broken body and shed blood of His Son. If you are not a believer in Jesus, and that's not something that you care about being, then I would ask you, not to take of communion because this is something that is serious and sacred for God's people, those who belong to Jesus. If you are here and you're not a believer but you've got questions about that or you want to place your faith in Jesus, I'll be at the back of the room. I'll have a cup with me. We can have a conversation about what it means for you to align your life with what God has done for you in His Son. What God has offered you in this helpless baby who would... Take your death upon himself so that you could be right with God and know his real peace in a world that keeps telling us to search for in any and everything else. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for the chance that we have to meet with you this morning. We thank you for what took place on the cross, Jesus. We thank you for everything that was worked out before the beginning of time so that we could be right with you, Jesus. Lord, for the believers in this room, I pray that they will realize that their hearts, when not actively aligned, are passively searching for, for peace in places that it is not. For the believers in the room, would you help us to see that you alone are our peace? Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us in your death and through your resurrection. God, for those in this room who may not have any belief in you, no trust in you, no faith in you, Lord, they are at war with sin that they may not even realize. And I pray that you would call them from death to life even in these moments of, of movement as we consider communion. Lord, I pray that you will make yourself known to lost people. Lord, that you help found people, believing people, to celebrate all that you've done for us, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.